0: We're working our way through Paul's letter to the Romans. We're almost done. And we've observed a couple of things that Paul does in his writings. He tells us what to believe, and then he tells us how to behave. And that's his order. It's not just a encouragement or command to obey. He always couches it in, this is what you should believe. And because you believe this, this is how you should behave. And as we've moved through the letter... We got to chapter 12, and things shifted from belief-based instruction to behavior-based instruction. And when we think about behavior, then, what Paul has taught us, and it's not surprising, that love is the yardstick by which God would measure us by and how we're to measure ourselves by. So when we think of belief, then, we are to believe that the gift of eternal life is a free gift. And in terms of the behavior that follows that, uh, this is what Paul writes um, in chapter thirteen: oh no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law for the commandments. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what he does then, he helps us to understand what love, what the connection between love and the law of Moses is. It's important to remember, as we think of this juncture in salvation history, kind of the flow of salvation from creation all the way to the end where Paul lives and the juncture that was inaugurated by Jesus and extended from Jesus' life and his death and continued to exist. There was a juncture, a transition from one covenant to the other. It wasn't just like flipping a light switch on and off. At this point, God, when he directs commands to mankind, it is the old covenant. And then Jesus comes and he inaugurates a new covenant. And there is a transitional period where the old is being eclipsed by the new. This didn't happen in a, in a flip of a switch. There was a transitional period and that's the period in which Paul writes the rules are changing. It amounts to a correction of things that were set in stone and what Isaiah had predicted that would come on the far side of a Redeemer that would come, and he would bring new news. Look what it says in Isaiah 59. It's in your worship folder, verses 20 and 21. Isaiah predicts, and a Redeemer will come to Zion. A Redeemer is a rescuer to those in Jacob who turn from transgression. This is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord from this time forth. And forevermore, what God promises is that there would be a redeemer who would come, a rescuer, and God would put spirit words in the mouth of this redeemer and he would speak them. At Isaiah's time, that's the problem that exists. As we've seen before, it was a time at this point in Israel's history that they were morally bankrupt. And what God says, the Lord was displeased that there was no justice. There was no justice, there was no mercy, and God was displeased by this. But then, in Isaiah's prophecy, he said, while there was something that displeased God, there was something that appalled him. And it wasn't the lack of justice, it was the lack of message, the lack of messengers. He says he was appalled that there was no one to intervene or to speak on his behalf. Those who had been... Chosen to do so, we're not doing the job. Prophets and priests, so God says, I'm going to fix the communication problem. I'm going to send a Redeemer, and I'm going to put spirit words in the Redeemer's mouth. Not only in the Redeemer's mouth, but in the mouth of the Redeemer's children, of his children's children, so that there would be those who would speak on God's behalf. That's what Isaiah predicts, we understand scripturally that God would select, and what Paul would, I think, tell us, by and large, those individuals who function as spirit spokespersons are children of Abraham. That's They are the first tier of responders. The initial apostles and prophets, Christians were all Jews um, we tend to believe that God streams spirit influence directly into the minds of mankind. If you follow with me, that, that God kind of dispenses his spirit. And his spirit directly interfaces with our minds. That's not the picture that Isaiah paints. Indicates that when God communicates spirit words, He puts these words into the mouths of representatives who speak spirit words on God's behalf so that they are communicated interpersonally. That's not very surprising though, is it? Jesus comes as a spirit spokesperson. He passes on the message to Disciples who become spirit spokespersons. Those spirit spokespersons pass on this message to others. They become spirit spokespersons. That seems to be the way that God functions. He transmits his, he dispatches individuals so that his message, spirit influence, is transmitted interpersonally Jewish Christians were the redeemer's offspring look what paul says in second corinthians 3 4 through 9 it gives us a sense then for what it meant what the message was paul writes not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us but our sufficiency is from god who has made us sufficient as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills and the spirit, but the spirit gives life. I wanted to draw something that we'll just we've talked about it before. What the Bible does when it talks about spirit influence, spirit influence and the new covenant are joined. That's what spirit influence means to us on this side of the cross. The spirit communicates. When he communicates, he tells us about the new covenant. That's what we find here. Um, It's not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Look what it says in verse 7. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone, and we've seen this before, the ministry from Mount Sinai, is not described as the ministry of life. It's described as the ministry of death. It goes on, if this carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of the righteousness must far exceed it in glory. We've seen this. When God describes the Old Covenant, it's not because he made a mistake. It's described as the Old Covenant. What's called this, the Old Covenant, and this is the New. The Old Covenant is described as the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. It was a conditional covenant. If you keep the commandments, you're blessed. If you disobey the commandments, you're cursed. This was not meant to be permanent. And this is how we know. When Moses went up on Mount Sinai... To talk with God, he received the old covenant decrees and he came down and what happened? His face was shiny. Did his face stay shiny? It didn't. So what he did, he veiled his face so that people couldn't see the glory was fading. Now, Moses might have felt "Mm, there's a problem, but there wasn't a problem. It was planned obsolescence. You know, the way in your car they put things in it that aren't meant to last forever you know, that, that's planned obsolescence. They're not supposed to last forever because they make a lot of money on spare parts. Okay, so that's the way it works. There is not a mistake here. The old covenant was never meant to be permanent. It was supposed to be temporary. It was supposed to be supplanted by the new covenant. That's what's supposed to happen. And this is called the ministry of death and condemnation. This is called the ministry of the spirit. Ministry of Righteousness. So this is spirit influence, the spirit of God on this side of the cross. He influences us to understand the difference between the old and the new and to understand that this is how God operates on this side of the cross. This is what he wants us to believe. Paul understood that spirit spokespersons were New Covenant spokespersons, and at his time they were primarily Jewish Christians. Most Jews, and understandably, had a very difficult time believing that this covenant had been supplanted. That makes sense, doesn't it? It was ordained by miracles. There was all kinds of things that they would assume God would never change this covenant. But that's exactly what Jesus comes to say, that the covenants were changed. Most Jews did not believe it. And therefore, um, that's why most Jews at that time were blinded to the fact that God could and did switch covenants. Uh, Of the Jews who believed that Jesus inaugurated the new covenant, and there was a minority Again, we've described it just to reiterate briefly that we might say, well, why would God put something in place and then not allow everyone to believe it the way we've described it? The way they make sourdough bread at that time, they make a loaf of bread. And what they would do then, you'd take a portion of this loaf and you'd set it aside. Take this loaf, set this loaf aside. Then you take this and you'd put it in certain places and let it ferment. And then it becomes sour. This goes into a new loaf, and it makes a sourdough loaf. You say, okay, Mike, what's all this about bread? Let's call this the Jewish loaf. God takes out of the Jewish loaf some individuals who are going to believe that the New Covenant has been inaugurated. This is the portion God pulled out and He dispatched this portion to go into the Roman Empire. They left Jerusalem believing that Jesus was the Messiah, believing that the new covenant has been inaugurated, and they announced this. These Jewish Christians, they are the ones that went throughout the Roman Empire, Paul and others as leaders, but it wasn't just Paul. It was this, well, portion of the Jewish loaf. And because they functioned, that's how we know what we know today. Because it was carried. Paul, understand again, with these individuals, some of them were really clear. And Paul describes some of these Jewish Christians as strong. And some were weak. Here's the difference between the strong and the weak. The strong were those whose eyes were unveiled, they saw the dietary laws and the holy day obligations, that's not how he's functioning, we don't have to do that, pass the bacon, give me another pulled pork sandwich, what they understood, this was no longer binding, so if this covenant was no longer binding, they didn't need to... Stay away from pork anymore. Those were the strong. That's what Paul describes them as. They could see clearly that there was a change in covenant, but there were weak ones who were Christians, but they didn't see the differences clearly. We can't fault them for this, can we? Again, they were kind of nervous about moving away from food laws and the Old Testament has a lot of pretty harsh things to say, and they were afraid that if we if we don't do those things, I'm not sure what will happen. And so they they were a little bit caught in the middle. And the weak and the strong, they were kind of at each other. And the the strong would look at the weak and they say, "What are you observing all those things for? Those things they're they're not how God operates anymore." And the and the weak were, you know, gee, how in the world can you eat stuff like that? And how in the world can you avoid? And do you do all these things on the Sabbath? This is what Paul is dealing with. He addresses the weak and the strong. Let's see what he says to them in Romans 15. That's so what he starts, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Again, the weaker judging the strong. They are condemning the strong the way the Pharisees condemned Jesus for eating and drinking with sinners. They're saying you're doing the same thing that Jesus did. And the strong are despising the weak. What Paul does with both of them, let's say you're the strong, and the strong clearly identify You have covenant clarity. You understand, I don't need to follow decrees that are like a binding. You guys are the weak. You, you're still a little bit nervous. What Paul says you, bear their failings. And you, you do the same. What Paul wants to do to those who were dispatched is, I want you guys to get along. Try not to major on the minors. Try to, to major on the majors. And what is the major? Jesus Christ died and opens the door of eternal life to Gentiles. Gentiles. And what Paul is encouraging the Jewish Christians who are throughout the Roman Empire, tell you what, let's not get stuck on food laws, folks. Let's get the message that we were given to the people that he gave us to, that he dispatched us to give it to. He didn't give us a message of whether we should do food laws or not, right? Right, group? What he's doing, he gave us a new covenant. This is what we're to announce to the Gentiles. So what do you think? Let's bring the message that God Gave us to bring. Because you know what he, Paul, understood that Jewish Christians were? Your spirit spokespersons. Speaking on the spirit's behalf about the new covenant that Jesus died to put into place. um, Paul tells them, because they speak for God, the reproaches that are directed at God are going to be directed at you. You're going to have a tough time. That's what Paul is telling them. You're going to have a tough time. And it's not because you've done anything wrong. Those who speak for God end up being opposed. It happened to Jesus. If it happened to Jesus, it's gonna to happen to you. The Lion King remake is out. Did you see anybody see the remake? Yeah. Interesting. they're not cartoons, they look real. You know, you know. When you think about that movie, The Lion King, and you think about the different characters, and there is Timon and Pumbaa. And, you know, they were the ones who comfort Simba. And they comfort him and they say, don't worry about it. And you don't need to go back and fulfill your responsibility. And we don't need you to be the Lion King. And you just come up with here and you can eat bugs. They're slimy yet. Satisfying. Satisfying. (laughs) Very good. Slimy yet satisfying. Uh, And then so that's comfort. That's comfort. The word encouragement in the Bible can mean comfort. It can mean, "Come on, take a rest." It's going to describe here that God is the God of endurance and encouragement. But the word encouragement in the Bible—it's not really Timon and Pumbaa. It's Rafiki, and that's that's what encouragement is biblically. It's When someone comes alongside and appeals to you to walk on the path that's truly best for you, even if it might be a little bit challenging, that's the image of biblical encouragement. That's what Paul is trying to do with the Christians in Rome and especially the Jewish Christians. He is to them what Rafiki was to Simba. In fact, interesting, Simba and um, Rafiki are Swahili words. Simba means power. And Rafiki is a good one. Rafiki means friend. Friend. The Bible says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are oh, the kisses of an enemy? We think of the kisses of an enemy. Who do you think of? Scar. And he caused Simba to believe that he was condemned, and and he was a failure, and it was his fault. And when under the influence of that kind of condemnation, he leaves, and then Rafiki comes alongside, and. He appeals to him to bring the message that he has been given to bring, and that's the way Paul—that's the influence of Paul on these Jewish Christians. Um, spirit spokespersons have been sent to represent God, and the way it is with these Jewish Christians, and we can find ourselves in the same place. It was hard for them to see themselves as reflections of their father. God would never use me to communicate a message. I'm not perfect. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to encourage them to understand. These individuals have been given a covenant that they are to proclaim to Gentiles. And um, look what it says. For whatever, in verse 4, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's what the scriptures do. They encourage. And it's not Timon and pumba It's Rafiki. It's not take it easy, put your feet up. Biblical encouragement is stay true to who you are. Stay on the path that's truly best for you. Um, As Then he goes, may the God of endurance and encouragement, which is interesting, isn't it? The thing that God is good at, promoting endurance and encouragement. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. He's trying to get this side to welcome that side, that side, to welcome this side, because he wants them to speak with one voice. Chronic difficulty has been erosive spiritually for these individuals. They moved from a place where they had neighbors and livelihood, and then they were dispatched into the Roman Empire where they weren't accepted by Jews, because they were Christians, and they weren't accepted by Gentiles because they were Jews. They were people without a country, but not without a father, and not without a message. And that's what Paul is trying to get them to understand. But chronic difficulty has been erosive. And you know what happens when tension mounts? Frustration increases. We become impatient. We become discouraged. We become frustrated. We try to find escape and pleasure. We do what Simba did under the influence of Scar. We try to forget all about it. What Paul is trying to do is to get them to understand who they are and how significant their message is. They will need God's endurance and encouragement in order to be spirit speakers who speak with one voice. Paul wants them to focus on the New Covenant. It's very difficult biblically to avoid the mistake of majoring on minors and minoring on majors. What is the major thing? What is the thing that God is communicating? Again, I want you to listen carefully. Keep the commandments and you'll be blessed. Disobey the commandments and you'll be cursed. Is that the main thing that he is communicating? It's challenging, isn't it? Well, is he telling us to do whatever we want? Do you know what he's telling us? I want you to love your neighbors yourself. You cannot do that under the old covenant. If you are going to be blessed if you obey and cursed if you disobey, then the reason that you're going to be nice to your neighbor is because... You're kind of looking up at God. I hope you're seeing this, God. You know, I'm watching this guy's feed. And so, and what are you trying to do? Is that really love? It's not really for his benefit, is it? It's for yours. You know what God does? Here's the deal. This seems challenging. You know what God does? He gives the gift of righteousness. You're loved. You're secure. He gives it to you. It's not the carrot at the end of a stick. That's not the way he operates. He gives you what you're looking for. Eternal inclusion. What are you going to do with internal inclusion? If you believe it, you know what we are afraid of? That we'll abuse it. And do whatever we want. That can happen unless we see how significant it is that God has chosen some to be his sons and daughters with a very important message to speak to the world. It began as Jewish Christians, that message has passed to Gentiles. What message does God want us to proclaim to the world? The New Covenant message. He would have us be spirit spokespersons. Spirit spokespersons our new covenant representatives. That's what Paul indicates to us. Not God doesn't operate by the old. He operates by the new. He dispatches some of us to understand that and to help reflect it to others. Uh, It's difficult in our day to focus on the majors. You know why? Again, I told you this before. I looked it up at Wikipedia. How many Christian denominations have you heard me talk about this? I don't know if I can believe this because it really shocked me. I just, I typed it in. Christian denominations, how many into Wikipedia? And this is the answer I got. 41,000. 41,000. I'm not sure if that's accurate. But certainly, tens of thousands is accurate. You know where tens of thousands of denominations come from? Majoring on the majors? Absolutely not. Majoring on the minors. We don't baptize people by immersing. We baptize people by sprinkling. (laughs) We would never allow a drum set in church. Not to say... A guitar or a tambourine. And so some of you, that's, that's another story that I'll tell you another time. No, I'll tell it to you now, the heck of it. (laughs) So I'm sitting here, right? So I was talking about, talking about instruments, so this is great. One of my, one of my shining moments. And now I'm going to share it with you. So, so I'm up there sitting in that seat and there is a tambourine and it's on a monitor here. And so the, the group is up there and it's buzzing. It's kind of vibrating, so um, I think it was Brett. He he kind of he tipped his head over this way. I got I got to see where okay because I'm going to forget where I was. Okay, there I understand where I am. Okay, good. I always tell a story and then I forget where I was when I when I diverted. Anyways, so it's over there and Brett's going like this. He's stooping over there and so I'm wondering what he's doing. And I see there's a tambourine over there, so I kind of. I'm wondering what he wants me to do, and so, so then I, I just I kind of go over and I, I get the tambourine and we're standing up and I start to you know just do this and you know I'm just doing this and I'm, I I don't have all kinds of rhythm and so it kind of works and then and then I'm looking at the reaction of the team and they're not nodding in their approval. Brett's going, <laughs> Joel who is a, he, Joel almost can't play the guitar. He's laughing so hard. <laughs> And so that was my, and then I understood, and so now that's, I'm the tambourine man, so that's, so in some people you'd never have an instrument in church, and we have a tendency to major on minors and minor on majors. What Paul would have us understand and be clear about is, um, covenant clarity. And as we'll see, that doesn't happen all at once. It takes time. To, to really believe that what God says in the New Covenant is what he means, that he puts his law in our mind, writes it on our hearts. He's helios to our unrighteousness. Helios means, biblically, it means he's gracious, favorable, benevolent, and cheerful. Your mistakes and sins on this side of the New Covenant do not cause God to go This is God's approach. You sin, this is God's approach. He is non-reactive. That's what the New Covenant indicates. And that seems a little bit dangerous. What happens when we believe that? You know what it becomes? Good news. Good news is something that you want to share. And that's what Paul is trying to get them in. Ultimately, to encourage us to understand, Um, Christ came, it says, in order to create spirit hearers. Look what he says in verse 8. I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Christ came to confirm the promises God made to the patriarchs. God chose Abraham and his children to be those individuals to and through whom he would communicate himself to mankind. He says in Genesis 12, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Um, What Jesus came to do, I'm not going to land on this forever, but it just seems to be important. He was a servant to the circumcised. We tend to strip Jesus of his Jewishness. And we do the same thing with Paul, and the same thing with Peter, and the same thing with the disciples. They become Christians in the church, but we tend to strip them of their Jewishness. And I think that's a mistake. Do you know what God did? He took a portion of the children of Abraham and placed them in the Roman Empire with news of the new covenant so that we might know about it 2,000 years later. We tend to dismiss the influence and the role of this first tier of Jewish responders. The first Christians were Jewish. And they were driven from their homeland so that we would understand that God announced a new covenant to the world. That's what Paul is trying to get them and, I think, us to understand. Christ's purpose in coming was to validate or certify the promise that God made to Abraham and to include the Gentiles in a circle of mercy. It says in verse 9, As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles! With the people, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles will hope. Somebody told me once, I had never read the Bible through, and I had been a minister for a little while at this point. I just always got bogged down in Leviticus. You know, then numbers. If you ever read through numbers, holy smokes. And it goes, and it does like this census, they have this many plates and this many people and it's, it's mind numbing. Anyways, but I, so I'd never made it through and somebody told me once, I've told others about the Bible is divided into six categories. There's the law, which is the first five books, then the history books, and then the poets, Beginning with Job and going through Proverbs. And then the history, the, the, prof, the prophets, beginning with Isaiah, ending in Malachi. That's the Old Testament. Then the New is the Gospels and the letters. So, these four sections, law, history, poets, prophets. In each one of those sections, he talks about God's purpose to shine light to you and I, it says in the history books in Second Samuel twenty-two. That's where one of these quotes comes from. Another quote comes. There's four quotes that Paul mentions. The law one comes from Deuteronomy thirty-two. One comes from Psalm one seventeen. One comes from Isaiah eleven. So here's the one. It's not necessary necessarily to to put the right quote. Just so that you can know Deuteronomy, Second Samuel, Psalm 117, Isaiah 11. In all of the sections of the Old Testament, it is clearly established and announced. It is and will be God's purpose to speak the message to and through His chosen, the children of Abraham, to Gentiles. As spirit hearers... God would have us, well look what it says in 2 Corinthians 3. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. It tells us something really important here. It talks about transformation. Transformation is change from the inside out. It's moving towards doing more of what he wants you to do, not doing what he doesn't want you to do. That's what transformation accomplishes. The question, how are you transformed? There's one thing that can transform us. It's how we were created. We are transformed by one word. Glory. Glory is the reflection of God's covenant words. That's what glory is. It's the reflection of God's covenant decrees. There's glory in the old covenant. It changes. But its change is skin deep and short lived. Did it change Moses' face? Did it continue to change his face? No, it dissipated. That's the kind of change the old covenant was meant to create. It's skin deep and short lived. There is, and this doesn't reflect the full intensity of God's glory. When God reflects his glory, he doesn't do so from Mount Sinai with clouds and it was probably a volcano it was terrifying and people you know it was but they feared him but the fear did not change them for long in fact you know how long it was from the time they saw mount sinai till they did the golden calf a month and a half a month and a half from the time they see this horrifying and say, oh, we'll, 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 "We'll do whatever you want," and a month and a half later, they're not. They're making the golden calf. When God radiates the intensity of His glory, if you if you think that this is what God is saying, it's going to change you, but the change is going to be skin deep and short lived. You know what He wants us to do? To behold the different glory, not the glory from Mount Sinai the glory from Mount Calvary. Well, God comes down and gives a gift. And it's eternal inclusion. Here's where God reveals his glory. You know what's going to happen as you understand Jesus' life and the new covenant? It's going to take time. As you understand it more clearly, here's what it's going to do. It's going to change your heart because that's what glory does. You look at this, you behold it, it's going to change you. The change is interesting. It's not skin-deep and short-lived. It's heart-deep and long-lived. It will surprise you. This is not change that you have to... (gasps) It's change that occurs... It will happen to you. And you'll look back and you'll say, I didn't even know I'd been changing. That's what happens. And what the good news is, not only do you get to behold it and change you, but then you'll end up looking towards others and helping them to understand how God relates to them. And you know what will happen? The glory that was You beheld, you begin to reflect towards others, and they are changed by the glory that came to you and shines from you. That's what Paul is trying to get Jewish Christians to embrace, and what he's trying to get us to embrace as well. So you're saying, so what's the point? Develop covenant clarity. And what it says, From one degree of glory to another, it's not going to hit you all of a sudden. Talk to many of you, and what you've told me is this. There kind of goes through a process where you start to hear some of the things. We focus on God's grace all the time, and we're not going to stop because that's what changes us. (laughs) What I've heard from people is that in, in the beginning, it feels this feels too good to be true. I don't know if I can embrace this, but then people stick around. Well, it really does seem to be true. And I don't fully understand it, but, you know, it's an easy, a little easy for me to believe it. And this happens over years. And so what I'm saying is if you're caught between understanding and not understanding, I think to a degree we're all in that place. But. The more we understand, the more it changes us. And the more it changes us, the more we can reflect towards others. Paul ends in verse 13, he ends up saying, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Here's what I want you to take from this today. The power of the Holy Spirit, we tend to associate that with all kinds of things. If you experience the power of the Holy Spirit, will you get liver shivers? The Holy Spirit has been associated with all kinds of things. Liver shivers or at one point holy laughter? Really? Some people barking like dogs? Is that what happens when the Spirit influences you? You bark like a dog? What happens when the Spirit influences you? you know what happens? You end up seeing the New Covenant more clearly. Because the Spirit is the Spirit of the New Covenant. That's what Paul puts together. And as you see the New Covenant more clearly, you know what it does? It changes you from the inside out. You end up beholding it and reflecting it. You end up not being as afraid of God. You start to become honest with God. You start to become more comfortable with him. You speak to him. You develop a relationship. Get this. You begin to love him. How can you not love somebody who goes to such lengths to give Gentiles good news that he would dispatch an army of individuals so that we would get the message. It's not hard to love a God like that. We're going to do with a closing song. Okay, let me pray first. Thanks for um, your purpose and your promises. It's surprising that you would communicate one covenant and then supplant it with another. You're smarter than we are and that's the way you have determined and you have understood that's the way it needs to be. And I, On this side of the cross, you function by a new covenant. I pray that you would help us to see it more clearly so that it would change us and we could reflect that change outwardly. We're changed by glory. So shine your glory, your new covenant glory on us. Help us behold it as years go on so that we could progressively, gradually from glory to glory be changed. In Jesus' name, amen.